Well, welcome to the house of the Lord, everybody. Welcome to Grace Church. It's good to see you on campus tonight. I like that. Why don't we just clap our hands to the Lord and welcome His presence? I will enter into His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. Amen. We've got a lot to praise the Lord about. Amen. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, welcome. We're glad you joined us. Maybe I'll just say like the postcard, wish you were here. Is that all right tonight? Uh, but we are glad you've joined us on, on, online, and uh, we pray the, the service will be a blessing to you. Uh, I know we just started out with, with praise and thanksgiving. Can we formally start with just a word of prayer and ask that God would be with us tonight all over the campus, everything that's going on tonight? Jesus, we are so thankful, Lord. We have so much to praise you for. And here we are tonight, again, together, in your house, in your presence, with your people, the family of God. And so I pray that everything that is done tonight is done to the glory of God. Lord, anoint the teaching. Lord, anoint hearts and minds to receive all over the campus tonight. When we leave, let us say, surely we were in the presence of the Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As always, thank you for your giving your faithfulness to giving uh, to the kingdom of God, and you can give online and also on your way out uh, in Grand Central. There's a place to give, and we want you to be mindful of that and continue your faithfulness to the kingdom of God through giving. And I want to also tell you that the blood drive that was held Sunday here on campus for Mike Tomlinson was a absolute success. We had 21 people that gave to, gave blood to the cause. Thank you so much for, for being a part of that. And I even, I've heard a few stories where people kind of got bumped out of line that, that thought they had their place reserved to give and um, just seemed, seemed like there was, that's a good problem to have. And so thank you so much for supporting Mike, supporting the Tomlinson family, being a part of that. We're just, we're just thrilled at the good report there. And then don't forget, uh, gentlemen, we do have men's prayer this coming Saturday at 9 o'clock in the A Center. Looking forward to that. Last month, we had probably one of the biggest crowds we've ever had for men's prayer. It was tremendous. And um, that was, hey, that was still with the, with the Daniels fast going. So, so not everybody was eating donuts. So I, I know they weren't coming for just the donuts, right? So uh, who knows? This time, we, it might be standing room only. I don't know. But uh, make a note of that, fellas. And we're looking forward to fellowship and also prayer. Um, in that in uh, in on this coming Saturday for men's prayer, you know, uh, if if I ever preach on this, just pretend like you, you never heard it. But I have been meditating this week on on a an, an interesting dynamic I believe in Jesus ministry. There's several places in the Gospels where it says Jesus looked at the crowd and was moved with compassion, and and and. I, I don't know. I, I got to study that out. I don't know what all that means, but I'll just take it at face value. It means that Jesus looked at the crowd and was moved with compassion, and and so uh, it, it, that just that moves me. It, it does something for me that that probably when Jesus looked out over those multitudes, he thought, "This is why I came. This this is the reason. This is the humanity I came, or at least a representation of that I came to redeem, to heal, to save, and deliver." But there's also at least one instance where Jesus looked at a single leper in Mark, the book of Mark, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion. And I just love the fact that he looked at the multitude and was moved with compassion, but he also looked at a single human being and was moved with compassion for one need. I want you to know this Friday night, 
you're going to be in an environment just like that. There's going to be a crowd here, and I believe it's going to have Jesus' attention. But I also believe that he's going to be moving on individual needs, and he's going to be looking for people that are here, that are crying out to him, that want him to move in their life. This Friday night is the night of worship at 7.30, special uh, special. Uh, worship leader Tim LeBlanc from Pentecostals of Alexander, Alexandria. We're going to have an amazing time, and God is going to do some things. There's going to be signs and wonders following. We're expecting miracles, outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I believe Jesus is coming Friday night to be moved with compassion for some people. Yeah, clap your hands to the Lord by faith tonight. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, be prayerful between now and Friday night for that service. If you would, spend some extra time talking to the Lord about it, and let's come with expectation. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm a little wound up tonight. You can probably tell, but that's okay. I am going to uh, hit the mute button and turn this over to Pastor tonight. One more time, would you just clap your hands to the Lord as Pastor comes to teach tonight? God bless you. Thank you, Brother Dave, and great to see everybody tonight. As always, we're so thankful to see you on Wednesday night for Bible study. And um, I know tonight, by the time our presentation is completed, I believe that you're going to be very glad that you came. And uh, so we're, we're glad to see all of you here tonight. And a uh, great time here this past Sunday. And... Um, we, we preached this past Sunday, as you'll remember, uh, our sermon title was The Tragedy of a Wasted Opportunity, and um, that was, uh, it was very strategic. I believe it was the will of God for our Sunday morning service, and I believe that God accomplished some great things Sunday morning. I'm very thankful for that, but uh, I'm also using that as a, a lead-in, if you will, for our material tonight. As I mentioned Sunday... Uh, I want to talk to us tonight about vision. And a lot of people talk about church vision, this and that. And uh, I've talked to a lot of people that talk about church vision and even talk about vision for their own personal lives. And then when you ask them what it is, they can't tell you. Uh, I think sometimes people want to use that kind of church terminology because it sounds good at the moment, but I think we need to have a little more substance in that. Uh, I think we ought to know where we're going and how we're going to get there. And uh, it's essentially what vision is. We welcome our uh, students in here tonight. And uh, that would be uh, Mark's uh, class and Jeremy's class. I've requested that they join us tonight. And uh, both of these gentlemen were very sweet, very kind, and very cooperative with that. And I appreciate it and we're glad to have uh, uh, Jeremy's class and Mark's class in here with us tonight. I want to take just a moment and introduce to you from, from the best of my memory, and if I'm leaving anybody out, please forgive me. Um, but we have established, we established right before the COVID pandemic hit and, and kind of shut everything down for a while, um, we had established a, a group of our young people that we call the JV team. If you'll remember, if you go back a, uh, probably more than a year ago now, even some of our ushers was our young people, uh, mostly our junior high age group of uh, students, and they did a tremendous job. And since we've been back on campus, um, I have 
listed here in front of me at least five of what we call our JV team, our junior varsity team, that is serving in very legitimate, worthy, impactful uh, leadership spots uh, that impact our service uh, on Sundays and Wednesday. Um, some of them are sitting all the way in the back. And if they could move all the way to the front, just go ahead and take this opportunity to y'all just come right on up here in the front. And uh, we'd appreciate that. And uh, we'd like for our young folks to be up front. Don't follow the example of our elders. <clears throat> Why pow, right? Uh, but we're very thankful for that. Uh, Allison, if you would, stand Finley. I believe she is actually... She's serving tonight. If you would stand all the way in the media booth, Eli, um, Noah, Ethan. Uh, am I missing anybody? Y'all help me tonight. Am I missing anybody? Um, I'd like to point out that these, y'all just stay standing for a minute, that these uh, students are a part of leadership, legitimate, impactful leadership roles here at Grace Church. I can't stress that enough. Allison is in our praise team. Finley is serving in the production booth. Eli serves in the production booth. Noah serves in the production booth. And Noah and Eli both have played the synthesizer when the praise team was singing. And Ethan is doing a fantastic job assisting uh, Chris with the soundboard. Now let's give up some appreciation to these young folks tonight. Thank the Lord. Now y'all stay standing for a minute. I would like for... Uh, I think most of these, some of these are high school, some are junior high, but I'd like for our other high school and our college group to take a look at these guys and then ask yourself, why am I not doing some of that? Was that another just wow pow, wow pow kind of thing? Was that just, am I being too harsh and rude here tonight for some reason? Um, so y'all take a look around. Your younger counterparts are smoking you right now when it comes to church service. And so we want to try to do something about that, right? Thank y'all. Let's give them some more appreciation tonight. You may be seated. Thank the Lord. Uh, and I want to, that's why I've asked our students to be in here tonight, because I wanted them to hear uh, this presentation. As a matter of fact, they're going to be in the sanctuary with us for a while, and I appreciate every lasting one of them love all of them deeply uh, I think they know that uh, we've had uh, with with a lot of our, our students tonight I've had very lengthy conversations with most of them um, and I'm very thankful for all of our students tonight y'all are amazing people and I love y'all very very much I want to read tonight a couple of verses of scripture one of them will be particularly uh, familiar the other uh, should be familiar but first of all tonight from Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 the wise man said where there is no vision the people perish but he that keeps the law or does what God wants you to do happy is he there's lots of wisdom in that verse and then in 2nd Kings chapter 6 verse 17 and Elisha prayed and said Lord I pray thee Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. 
I want to talk to you for a little while tonight. I want to title this vision, Eyes Wide Open. In 2 Kings, in the scripture I just read, the verse I just read in 2 Kings chapter 6, is a record of a very fascinating historic sequence. Syria and Israel were perpetual enemies, essentially still are. God had given to Elisha the gift of discerning the plans of the king of Syria concerning all of his military movements, and Elisha would tell the king of Israel where the king of Syria was positioning all of his troops so that Israel could be prepared. More than once, Elisha's warnings saved the Israelites from Syrian ambushes, and the king had even checked out Elisha's intelligence reports and found that the prophet was accurate. It became obvious to the king of Syria that someone was passing his plans on to the enemy. He said to his advisors that, his advisors, that one of us around here is a traitor. We have a spy in the ranks. Somebody's listening. Somebody is telling the planned troop movements to the king of Israel. Now, we need to find out who that traitor is. And one of the aides spoke up and said, But your majesty, there's no spies among us. But there's a preacher or prophet in Israel who knows and tells our every movement. And I don't know how he finds it out, but some, somehow he seems to know. The Bible even said that this person was telling the king of Syria that the prophet in Israel even knows what you whisper in your bedchamber. So nothing you say is held back from the prophet knowing if God wants him to know it. So he reports that to the king of Israel and, and, and all of these things. And so obviously the king of Syria said, we better do something about it. We need to go get that preacher. Let's go get him. So he sent a large contingent of soldiers, horsemen, and chariots. And they made their way to Dothan where Elisha and a group of young men who had formed a school of prophets, a glorified Bible school, if you will, were living. They arrived at night, and one of Elisha's servants got up early in the morning to do a chore of some kind, and he, when he happened to look around, he saw that the army of Syria had surrounded the city of Dothan. So the young man was scared. He quickly made his way back to Elisha and said, we're in big trouble. The Syrians were camped all around us, and what are we going to do? And he was shaking and trembling and scared to death. So the young man and Elisha went out onto the hillside, and all they could see were soldiers and horsemen and chariots and charioteers, and it looked as though there were thousands of them. And Elisha looked at those soldiers and then looked at his young friend. And then he lifted up his eyes toward heaven and said, Lord, open this young man's eyes and let him see how things really are. The young man's eyes were open. He wasn't blind. That's what I want everybody to understand. This young fellow wasn't blind, but he could not see what Elisha could see. And if I had a fulcrum tonight for this presentation, it would be that. There's no one here tonight blind, but there's more that exist than what we're seeing. Everybody understand? So the young man's eyes were opened. Again, he wasn't blind, but God allowed him to see what beforehand he could not see. 
And that's what I'm so desirous of happening here tonight. I want everybody here tonight to see something that you've not been able to see. Everybody, but especially our students in here tonight. Elisha's servant continued to see the horsemen, the chariots of Syria. They didn't leave. They were all there and they were ready to go to battle. But he saw something else. On the hillside all around, he saw something that he had never seen before. And it was an angelic host of soldiers, angelic beings. He saw the army of the Lord and flaming chariots. Elisha prayed again and probably thanked the Lord for letting this young man see the help that God had available and ready for them to take advantage of. He provided for them an opportunity to seize. Then Elisha asked the Lord to smite the Syrians with blindness, and God did so. Every Syrian that was there that day was smitten by God with blindness. He beheld the mountains full of horses and chariots and fire, symbols of the enveloping and protecting care and might of God. So thus he could really and truly say, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. I want everyone to know tonight, and, and, and as, as abstract as our culture is in our country and even around the world, the church still has an amazing opportunity to excel if we could see it. Brother Dave announced the, the uh, night of worship this, this coming Friday night. I hope all of you seize the moment to show up and engage the vision for that service. We want to conclude that service Friday night seeing miracles, signs, and wonders. If we can see that, it can happen. It will happen, but you have to see it. Elisha had learned a lesson that we need most to learn, and that is that in every hour of peril and of apparent defeat, the soul that trusts in God is surrounded. If he has but eyes to see with divine spiritual agencies equal to any emergency. And let me ask Grace Church tonight, after all that we've been through over the past number of months, who should know that better than us? So I want to submit to you tonight that we need vision. We need to have vision for opportunity. We need to be able to see the opportunity that's in front of us. I'm not teaching a bunch of fantasy stuff here tonight. I'm teaching reality. I'm teaching tonight. I'm giving, going to give you substance of things that you can implement in your life on virtually every level of your life. My focus tonight is the church and the kingdom. But otherwise, you can apply this to every facet of your life and begin to grow exponentially and, and become the person that God wants you to be. And you can do it without fear and without reservation and what have you. So I want to present tonight and say that we, we, we must have kingdom vision. We have to be able to see what God is seeing. We have to be able to see what God is seeing. And, and your world is not exempted from that. It's easy to look across the aisle and say, well, man, it's going on in their life. Man, look at all the potential they have. I don't have any potential in my life. That's not true. Everybody has an opportunity 
and you have the potential to bring it to pass. So we need vision for a kingdom vision. We need church vision, which we do. And we also need to have vision on a personal level. And the personal level is where I'm really coming to you tonight. So let me answer the question tonight that maybe some of you are already asking. What is vision or what is a vision? I'm going to present a lot of words here tonight. And it's going to expound on the definition of vision. Feel free to take notes. You can get out your phone and take pictures of the screen if that'll help. Or you can go back and watch or listen to this later. But you need to get this in the gray matter between your ears. Uh, it needs to resonate there. It needs to come to life there. So what is vision? Duke Ellington, the late jazz musician, composer, and renowned band leader, was once asked to provide a definition of rhythm. Have you ever seen people in church that don't have rhythm? Have y'all ever? It's just an observation. Uh, I, know, I know several people. I could call their name right now. They're not here, and, they're in, and I don't know where they are. Anyway, they don't attend Grace Church. But, you know, when you're singing a song and the beat is like this and everybody's clapping like this and they're going, it kind of tells you there's, there's no rhythm here. It's, they're just worshiping the Lord. In the absence of rhythm. <laughs> but anyway, Ellington replied when somebody asked him the definition of rhythm. He said, if you got it, you don't need any definition. And if you don't have it, ain't no definition going to help you. And I totally agree. I think that's amazing. Great, great answer. Somebody said something similar about the anointing. But vision, thankfully, is not quite as elusive as rhythm. However, I do believe Ellington's definition can be adapted slightly to help us understand one reality regarding vision. Once you have it, you know it. But when you don't have it, you are not sure what it will be like. So let me spend some time here tonight defining the concept a vision. You might define vision as foresight with insight based on hindsight. This definition underscores the importance of looking to the future, emphasizing the significance of, of possessing a keen awareness of current circumstances and possibilities and notes the values of learning from the past. But this definition, I believe, is still somewhat imprecise. One church leader said that he believed vision was seeing the invisible and making it visible. Another leader suggested that his working definition was vision is an informed bridge from the present to the future. Still another pastor used the expression sanctified dreams to convey what the term meant to him. Another man said vision is the art of seeing things invisible. Antoine de Saint Expiery said, A pile, a rock pile, a rock pile ceases to be a rock pile the moment a single man contemplates it, bearing within him the image of a cathedral. Webster said that vision is something that is seen 
unusual competence and discernment or perception. Brother Webster said that it's intelligent foresight, a man of vision, the manner in which one sees or conceives a thing, a mental image produced by the imagination, the mystical experience of seeing as if with the eyes of the supernatural, i.e. God's direction, is what Webster said. I want to suggest tonight, and and, and this is what I will present to you tonight about vision, I consider to be a more steady and hopefully a more precise definition of vision. Listen carefully. We're going to go through this. It will be on the screen. Vision is a clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to His chosen servants, And is based upon an accurate understanding of God, self, and circumstances. So I want to take a few moments, and y'all can leave that on the screen for a few minutes if you'd like to. I'd like for us to consider the components of this definition. I started out that vision is a clear mental image. Let's talk about clear mental image. Vision is a picture held in your mind's eye of the way things could or should be in the days ahead. It's that preferable future. It's what you are are bearing down on in your mind right now that, that in the next days, weeks, and even months, this is what I would like to see happen. This is what I'd like to see come to pass. This is why visionless people... The the byproduct of that is people who perish. It's because they have no motivation for the future. They live day to day. Whatever happens tomorrow, I'll just deal with it when it comes. And I I don't believe people, church people, I don't think we should think that way. I don't think we should uh, look at things that way. I think we should have a plan, again, for your personal life. You as a personal, uh, an individual person, I, I believe it's an awesome thing to have vision for your marriage. I think it's, it's, it's imperative to have vision for your kids. Uh, however many here tonight might have a, uh, an adolescent at home or a preteen at home or whatever. Do you have any thoughts of what you would like to see them be when they're a teenager or, or going to college? Do you ever think about it? If you do, then what kind of plans are you making to see that that happens? So a vision is a picture held in your mind's eye of the way things could or should be in the days ahead. Vision implies meaning. Vision implies meaning. It's it's a visual reality. It's a portrait of conditions that do not currently exist. But this picture is internalized and it becomes personal. It's not someone else's view of your future But it's a vision, it's a mental image, it's a picture of one that uniquely belongs to you. So eventually we who have vision will have to paint that mental portrait for others if we wish the vision to materialize in our church. Our leaders are called on to do that. So just as you have used your imagination to create this view of the future, you will have to lead others to catch the same vision so that they too might share in its impl- implementation and impact. So it's, a, it's imperative 
A clear mental image is having a clear picture in mind. And it's essential if you become a visionary, if you want to be a visionary, of, of what do you want to see come to pass as a byproduct of what you're doing. So we've been announcing that we're going to resume Sunday morning Sunday school on Sunday, March the 7th. So all of our, all of our teachers, all of them are asked. They're called upon. We've done this regularly and we're about to do it again here in a few weeks. But we're going to call on them from the youngest to the eldest. From the youngest Sunday school class all the way up through Brother Ben's class. When you start teaching your class, one year from now, what do you hope to have achieved? Anything? You want to see your class grow? I hope you do. I think all of our teachers would like to see that. So if you do, then how are you going to go about making that happen? What are your plans? You see how this works? You just can't show up on Sunday and expect it to happen. Like we said this past Sunday, guy hitchhiking down the road and just hope some guy's going to pick him up and take him off somewhere where he can make a million dollars like tonight. That's not how vision works. It doesn't work that way. So eventually we have to have vision. A fuzzy perspective is not vision. It has to be a clear mental image. I wish we could see this, especially for our kids. If parents, especially with young kids, get caught up in this, this mindset. Well, well, right now I can control everything my kids do. I mean, if they're you know, under, what, 10, 11? I don't know what the age is for your particular house, whatever it is. You tell them to go to bed, and they go to bed. You tell them to get up, they get up. You tell them to eat, they eat. You tell them to go take a bath four or five times, and then they'll go ahead and take a bath and... Uh, Tell them for a little over a week to wash their hair, and you can finally get them to do it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, well, if you have that age group of kids, trust me, they're going to grow one day and be an adult. What kind of adult would you like for them to be? And what are you doing to facilitate that? Is everybody on board with me about vision? I think it, it, it's resonating with somebody right now, maybe. You just can't live day to day. I think marriages have to have vision. Some of you young, younger married people, what are you going to do? What is your marriage going to be like when you're my age if it stays on the current path it's on right now? Is it going to be better? Or you wish you could get rid of the old bag or regretted not doing it 10 years ago? I mean, where are you going to be in your marriage? <clears throat> you have to have a clear mental image of what kind of future you want for yourself, your marriage, your family, your church. If you're in a leadership role, please develop vision. And we're going to talk about that in the near future with the leadership. So clear mental image. Now we come to preferable future. Here's the challenge with preferable future. <clears throat> preferable future, invariably, with anybody that wants to be a visionary, you want to be a visionary. Preferable future incorporates change. You have to change the way you think. When Sister Murph and I went to grow uh, a number of years ago, it's where our church vision comes from. It's built on that. To know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. It's hanging out in the, in the uh, lobby, and, and we do that. Our leadership does that. I applaud Nathan Henson for recruiting some of these what we call junior varsity students 
training them, teaching them. He's smart. You know why? Because he don't have to sit back there in that chair and operate the words on the screen and all that. He's teaching other people to do that. I've encouraged all of our leaders to work yourself out of a job. You build a team, and then you work yourself out of a job. As a matter of fact, Nathan is not even in the media booth right now. He's sitting with his wife because he has two very capable people that he's trained doing what he was doing when we first started this. Does everybody see that? It's not working hard. It's working smart. So it's a preferable future. Now, he's enjoying the future that he prepared for a couple of months ago. He, he prepared for a future. Now he's enjoying it. It's come to pass. So it incorporates change, and change is hard for people. It's hard to change the structure of your life. It's hard to change the culture of your life. It's hard to change the environments of your life. And they don't always have to physically change. Where the change happens is right here. That's where change happens, okay? So preferable future incorporates change. So in suggesting that vision deals with that which is preferable, we are insinuating that vision entails change. Watch the screen. Vision is never about maintaining the status quo. Vision is about stretching reality to extend beyond its existing state. So vision is required even when the church is already in a good position. Even when your life is in a good position. Even when your job is in a good place. Vision is still required. If you don't embrace vision, then you're going to get stale. You're going to lack freshness. That's why we're working hard at Grace Church to, to reestablish vision and what have you. We want, to be, we want that freshness back in our environment, in our culture, and so on. So vision is not just for churches that are struggling with their present state. Vision is still applicable to churches that are moving forward. It's still applicable to marriages and parenting and all that. Even though it's moving forward, you still have to have vision. You still have to know what your preferable future is and what you'd like for it to be. So to create a better situation, you can either rely upon random circumstance and hope that the result is better than what existed or as having vision will dictate. Your vision will begin to dictate if you develop it. You can assert control over your environment based on God's empowerment and direction and make a better future for yourself, your family, and your church. Does everybody understand that? It takes being willing to change. Vision is all about letting it dictate who you are, the decisions you make, and so on. Again, you can assert control. A visionary can assert control over his or her environment based on God's empowerment and direction and it will create a better future for the visionary. Before I continue, I'm going to have a very random exercise I'd like for all of you to do. So everybody here tonight that has two hands, 
like for you to do this, find out in front of you. This has nothing to do with my Bible study. I'm just going to distract you for a minute, and then we're going to get back into this. Everybody do that, and everybody do that. Now, see how quick you can do that. Everybody's like sign language is going on here tonight. It's not as easy as it seems, is it? But a visionary could conquer that if you practice it anyway. Just thought I'd insert that. Okay, so we've talked about clear mental image and a preferable future. Everybody on board with me tonight? Everybody on board? Say amen. amen. The third thing I want to mention about vision is it requires a future focus. Vision requires a future focus or thinking ahead. I remember when I was learning drafting, uh, it was right when Sister Murphy and I married in 1976, uh, you'd letter, of course, drafting involved a lot of lettering and, 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 and pencil or ink. And if you didn't think ahead, you'd need to, you'd get right in the middle of a word and it'd run to the edge of the paper and you'd have to erase it and mess everything up and then start over. Uh, you wanted to erase as little as possible in drafting back in those days. Now it's all done on a computer, but back in board drafting. And so I made a mistake one time, and I was writing whatever I was writing in it, and, and my, my boss saw me going closer and closer to the edge, and I was running out of room. So he took my pencil out of my hand, and in the top far right-hand corner started writing, think ahead, and it started curving around and going down the side of the paper and it said think ahead stupid he only had to write that one time on my paper and I got the point vision requires us to think ahead stupid uh, <laughs> uh, trying not to be so intense I'm trying to lighten this up a little bit but a future focus requires thinking ahead so if a preferable future requires change then a future focus requires thinking ahead Vision concentrates on the future. It focuses on thinking ahead rather than on dwelling upon or seeking to replicate the past. Vision is not repeating the past. I want everybody to understand that. You don't ever get the past back. I wish sometimes I could go back to 18 years old. I wish sometimes I could go back to 25 years old. I can't. Neither can you. Church can't go back to the Sunday night choirs and, and all of that. For right now, it may at some point in the future, but for right now, it, it's, it, it's, it's not real productive. And, and, and most circles, most church cultures, it's just it's not there. Uh, bringing back the hymnals. Uh, there, there's changes that, that have been made, and, and a lot of people want to bring it back, and they call it glory days. I would rather, and it's been my choice as pastor, not to try to replicate glory days of the past, but I would like to focus on the future to create culture and environment where we can have even better than what the past has ever produced. Is everybody on board with that? Like four people? There are people today that bemoan the current state of the church, yearning for a return to the days of the past, the days of yore. Most of those people will never extricate or remove themselves from the lethargy or the downward spiral 
that they're experiencing. This means that success in any church or success in any individual is to focus upon God and to be committed fully to His vision and to what He will do with us and through us in the future. That's what we should be committed to. And I applaud Grace Church. I think about 99.99% of everybody that attends Grace Church is on board with our vision. We talked about core values. We're not compromising our message. We just want to be a church, strong message, but with a culture or an environment that's attractive to people, that's relevant to people that would come and want to visit it. So vision requires a future focus. The fourth thing about vision is it has to be imparted by God. If you're going to be a visionary, you need to be empowered by God to accomplish it. In other words, you can't do it by yourself. So I'm not teaching positive thinking. I'm not teaching none of that. Uh, it, it has its place. It has its merit. But I'm talking about vision that's imparted to us from God. This is what God wants us to do. This is the direction God wants us to go. This is the kind of church God wants us to be. These are the kind, this is the kind of people God wants us to be. So vision that I'm talking about tonight needs to be imparted by God, and that's a part of our definition of vision. We need to be empowered by God to accomplish it. Uh, Casey is doing an amazing job in planning the, uh, uh, the night of worship this coming Friday night. And, and right now she's kind of on pins and needles. She's stressing a little bit. She's nervous about it, what have you. What she knows deep down on the inside is God's going to empower her and our praise team, our singers, musicians, and all of that to accomplish what he wants to see accomplished Friday night. He'll take care of that. She's yielding to a vision for that service that night, for this coming Friday night. She's yielding to a vision that was imparted to her by God. There's a lot of reason behind it. There's a lot of motivation behind it. And, and, and God spoke to her about this, and that's why we're doing it. And God's going to empower her to accomplish it. So vision for personal spiritual growth is a reflection of what God wants to accomplish through you to build his kingdom. Rather than rely upon the abilities of humans to concoct a view of and to plan for the future... God conveys his view of that future to you. That's vision. God tells you. God shows you what can happen. So the future of the church and the people that God has placed on this earth are simply too important to him to allow people to lean on their own innate abilities, to lean on their own innate talents, to develop man-made schemes for reaching a world that he died for. All of this is too important to God for him just to dump it in our lap and say, okay, you do with it what you want to do with it. It's too important to God for that. That's why a vision has to be imparted to us by God and then empower us to do it and to bring it to pass. So while he allows us ample latitude and creativity to articulate and disseminate and implement the vision, make no mistake about it, vision comes from God. I'm out of time. and I'm about halfway through. So I've got a dilemma. 
heard one person say, keep going. And that is way short of a majority. <laughs> way short of a majority. So uh, I'm going to stop right here. I hope you understand and have, have, have listened to what we've presented here tonight. If I, if I continued, it'd be quarter till nine, nine o'clock before I would be finished because I want to take my time and I'm, I'm trying to be very careful in presenting this tonight. There's what I can't, what, I, what I'm not going to be able to finish tonight is when you have vision imparted to you by God for a preferable future, you're willing to change, you're willing to do all of that, it's imperative that you understand the requirements. What is required to be a visionary and what is required to bring that vision to pass. So I'm not going to teach the material, but I'm going to give you a little taste of it. Number one, you have to comprehend God. Number two, you have to know yourself. Number three, you have to understand your circumstances. All of this is a part of understanding the requirements that God wants to bring to pass. What I feel to do right now, if you'll stand with me, and I'll talk to you about this next week. I'll do a little bit of review and then get back into it next week. But understand the requirements. Number one is comprehending God. Number two is knowing yourself. If you, if you want to have vision with eyes wide open, it's imperative you know God, but it's also imperative that you know yourself. There's one thing that's frustrated me, and I still can't get the answer that I want. It's not the answer I want. It's the answer that makes the most sense. I've done a lot of study, done a lot of research. But I've pondered, and, it, and it's, it's frustrating to me. I want everybody to listen. I want our students to listen. All of our students, I want everybody to listen. Is why does God give people certain gifts, but does not, but the personality they have doesn't go along with that gifting? For example, I think I'm an amazing person. But my personality just don't go along with it. <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, I've talked to, to numerous people that have desires. I have incredible desires for our church. Young folks, please listen. I want to help you not make the mistake, mistakes that I made and then mistakes that people made with me. Is that fair? Um, I grew up in a very different church culture than, than we have now. And there's a lot of people here tonight that grew up in the same church culture I did. or was part of it for a substantial length of time. I've come to realize myself included, that there's a lot of people that I know tonight that was overlooked. Um, they just weren't given an opportunity. <laughs> they had gifting, but their personality might be a little quirky. And nobody bothered. I'm talking about in the 70s, mid to late 70s, early 80s. Nobody bothered to find out what their gifting was. Bottom line, in the church environment I grew up in, if you was the typical apostolic whatever, and you were faithful, if there was a need in your church, in the church, 
you were guilt-tripped into going fulfill that need. <clears throat> I never felt like I was cut out for kids' ministry. I never, I never, I never felt like I fit. It, it never felt like a fit for me. And of course, I was asked to teach the primary Sunday school class. What would that be? I don't even remember the age group. Um, I did it every Sunday for several years, and I hated every Sunday that I did it. I'm being honest. I felt like, looking back in retrospect, that maybe I had a little bit of gifting, a tiny little bit of gifting to teach, but it needed to be refined to a different age group. It needed to be developed and then presented for another age group. I later on taught home Bible study to adults, not primary age kids. And when I started teaching home Bible study is when I realized, hey, this is something I could do. But I didn't start teaching Bible study until I was in my mid-20s. So I could have started teaching Bible study when I was 18 years old. I, I didn't have any more knowledge at 25 than I did 18 when it came to that. Never had the opportunity. It was never considered. I never heard a discussion about it. Never had a conversation. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm illustrating a point. I believe our church leaders back in those days... Sister Sheila Goen, Sister Sheila Landry, others here tonight, I believe they did the best they could with what they knew in the culture and environment and all that. I believe they did the best they could, and I applaud them. But when I preach Sunday about a wasted opportunity, a tragic wasted opportunity, here at Grace Church, one of the most inviting things about this church to me is if you come and want to be involved in it, we will do something. Now, we have doctrinal things you have to believe and, and biblical things you have to believe, leadership stuff you have to believe. But if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to do that, we want to put you in an area where you're involved. We have somebody at Grace Church that came from another church and as they wanted to be involved. And, and I said, man, you would do great in this. I thought they'd do great in this particular area. And uh, they said, absolutely not. I did that at the other church and I hated every minute of it. And I said, what do you want to do? And then what they what they chose, what they thought was their gifting and what have you, has been a perfect fit. So I even misjudged. And oftentimes that happens. That's why we do personality and gifting. So sometimes it's possible, listen to me, sometimes it's possible for you to have a personality that will squelch or beat down your gifting. And that's what frustrates me. Why does that happen? You have these, we, we have people at Grace Church that, that have all kind of gifting and it, it, it comes out of them. Every service, every service, every service. The people in the, the production booth behind you right now, they're gifted for that. They have the knowledge, they have the gifting, they have the desire and they're doing it. We have Sunday school teachers that, and they work in that area because they want to, not because we guilt trip them and said these kids are going to hell if you don't teach them. We don't do that here. So I want all of our students to know that if you can get past yourself, don't do what I did and don't do, and we're not going to allow to happen to you what happened to me. We want to look for your gifting. We want to look for your desires. We want to tap your potential and then give you an opportunity to develop it. Are you gonna be perfect? No. Are you gonna make mistakes? Yes. Are you gonna do dumb stuff? Yes. Are you going to blow it? Yes. All of that. You're going to do it all. 
but it, we're not going to throw you out. We're going to learn from the mistakes, and then we're going to do better. Is everybody following me here tonight? So I want everyone here, young and old alike, but we're highlighting our students here tonight. There, there's, there's students in this room right now that, that could be and should be giving back to the church, but you think your personality is this or that, and you think your circumstances are this and that, when none of that is, should not be the dictate. Your vision should dictate that. So I'm going to ask you all of you tonight to pray, to seek God. Don't let peer pressure beat you out of your opportunity. I think the sissy is the one that's too scared to do it, not the one that's doing it. That's all I'm going to say about that. There's people here right now that knows what that's applicable to. But I want everybody to just dig down deep. And you have desires. There's people here tonight that has desires. You have potential. But your personality, your circumstances, your environment are beating you down. They're dictating you not doing it. Let your desire, let your vision rise to the surface and say, God, if you'll empower me, I'm going to start giving back. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Now, no offense, Chris Lewis. He is an incredible drummer. Incredible drummer. But I don't believe it was always that way. I don't know if he could do what he does every Sunday here when he was like eight. Did you play that good at eight years old? No? At some point, it was his first time. I remember Casey's first time at the keyboard. She was 12, 13 years old when we were in Baker, terrified. Everybody has to have a first time. And you can't look at all of these talented people and say, well, I can't do that. Nobody's expecting you to do that. We're wanting to facilitate your desire to become not them but what God wants you to be is everybody cool amen you still love pastor I love you man I love this church y'all are amazing people so with that in mind we're going to pick this up next Wednesday night don't miss we have a great crowd here tonight don't stay home next Wednesday night come back and hear the requirements of vision and fulfilling it in your life God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. Shake friends and be handy. And uh, let God have his way in your life. What do you say? God bless you. We'll see our men Saturday morning for prayer. <clears throat>